Baptism. We know, how many ordinances do we have? Two. 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 Why do we call them ordinances? Because Jesus ordained them. Jesus ordained them or ordered them. He told us to do them. He told us, you know, to observe the Lord's Supper until I come again. Uh, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church is to make disciples. Uh, you have to evangelize, proclaim the gospel. The Spirit regenerates when the Word goes forth, and then we baptize and teach them. F.B. Meyer said the Word of God is not given to be admired for its beauty or studied for its detail. It is, it is given to be obeyed. There is no blessing in hearing and knowing it apart from doing it. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So he's commanded us to observe these two things, the Lord's Supper and baptism of new converts. Now, there's some confusion uh, surrounding these um, ordinances. Roman Catholics, as I said earlier, call them sacraments, meaning they convey grace to people. Protestants, particularly Baptists, treat them as ordinances that symbolize. Um, some of the issues that, that arise with this and make it a little bit more confusing is that people assume that the ordinances are a part of our salvation, they're a part of our uh, being saved or coming to Christ. Um, some people see these things as the, the doorway to church membership, so they become the, the key issue, particularly for us Baptists, because we stress baptism by immersion, believers' baptism, so people substitute that for some other things namely a relationship and fellowship with Christ uh, as their means for, for being a part of a church fellowship, being a part of the body. Uh, some people believe that they're just not that important, should be downplayed. Uh, that will go along with churches sometimes where they don't really have much of a um, feeling about church membership even. They'll say, well, you know, church membership's not in the Bible, but uh, we know that clearly there is a close tie um, gathering that is indicated in the scripture of God's people, that they come together, they assemble together, there's accountability, there's, there's intentionality about what they're doing. So membership is just a way of saying those things, just like um, any other commitment would be. Uh, some, as I said earlier, believe that uh, baptism is for infants, some believe that it can be overemphasized and abused. Implementation of baptism. I referenced the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's replicated in Mark 16, 15, 16. Acts chapter 2 with um, Peter's sermon and subsequently what occurred after that. Acts chapter 2. And verse 41 says, so after he finished this preaching, well, they, you know, they were cut to the heart, he says, and Peter said to them, they asked, what shall we do based on what we've just heard, what, what we're experiencing? Peter said, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And people will take that and say, well, he's saying that baptism then is a part of your salvation. But that's not what he said. He said, repent and going back to 
the progression of how we come to Christ or our soteriology that we spent, what, seven, eight weeks on, we said conversion, repentance, those are fruits of regeneration, right? The regeneration is when the Holy Spirit comes in and changes us, literally rebirths us spiritually, and then we are convicted for our sin, we confess our sin, we repent from it, turn from it, and we confess Christ as Lord. So these, those things happen from our viewpoint almost simultaneously, but there is a clear-cut progression, and they become fruits uh, of that. The, um, he says, repent and then be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins. Is probably a better translation. Because for the forgiveness of your sins. <clears throat> and then verse 41, So those who received His word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000. So those who received the word, those who heard the word and received it and believed it, then they're converted, right? That's what's going on. And here's here's a here's an argument of defense against infant baptism. You know, this is part of it. It's people who come to Christ, hear the word, and respond to it. An infant can't do that. An infant's not able to do that. All right, we'll hit that a little bit harder in just a second. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 also is another good description um, of how we come to Christ. We're saved not by our works, but by faith. Uh, regeneration, become a new creature, become alive spiritually. We confess and repent of sin, confess and follow Christ as Lord. The old self is crucified, the new life is Christ's life in us. Baptism then is the outward sign of what's taking place inside. Okay, When we're baptized, we are portraying our union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? We essentially are portraying, <coughs> depicting that the old person has been sent to the cross with Christ, died, and has been buried, and now we're resurrected to this new life in Christ through this union with Christ. That makes sense? So, it's communicating the message. It's telling the story of what's taking place on the inside for those outside to be able to see. People can't see into your heart. They don't know. So when someone says, I follow the Lord in believer's baptism, they're doing it out of obedience to Him because He's told us to do it. They're doing it to identify with Him because He Himself was, was uh, uh, baptized. And they're doing it to proclaim the gospel. It's, uh, you know, part of our Fellowship of Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, means to go and tell. Remember the uh, demoniac that Jesus healed? And he said, I want to go with you where you're going. And Jesus said, no, go back to your people. Go back and tell them, you know, what's been going on here. We saw it with the woman at the well that had had five husbands and was living with a sixth man, remember? She went to the city and told them all what Jesus was doing for. So the message there is that when Christ impacts us, our job is to go and tell others. So when we are baptized, that's the easiest way to proclaim the gospel that you'll ever have because you don't have to say a word, literally, but you're allowing your life to be this moving picture so that people will understand what's happened to you on the inside with relatively few words. Um... 
You know, it's also important, I think, to know, we, we think we invented baptism almost, we Baptists do, but baptism's been going on a long time. It was a part of the culture, even the pagan cultures before, um, you know, the Jews practiced it. It was more ritualistic. It's more depicting outwardly a cleansing, you know, of sin and, and um, immorality and things of that nature. So uh, even those that practice false religion would go and purify themselves before they went in to engage in worship of whoever their God was. Uh, so, and when you go to Israel in that area, you'll see these these baptismal pools everywhere. James, you remember that? You and Bill, some of you've been over there. The mitzvahs are everywhere. Yoni was always harping on that. Everywhere you'd be standing there, Yoni'd say, "Right here, you know, this is the uh, the what's left over of a mitzvah." You know, or they had all these these pools, these little bathtubs, like built everywhere where they could go and do ritual purification uh, to practice their religion so it wasn't anything new when Jesus came and and John the Baptist was baptizing and kind of serving as a bridge from Old Testament observances of baptism and Jesus came and started anew that he didn't need to be baptized he didn't have any sin to be washed away he came and used it as a symbol for those who become new new believers and followers of his and he, he instructed his disciples to go and continue doing that with those they encountered. Um, so, baptizo uh, means to plunge or dip or immerse. So that's, you know, it's in keeping the very verbiage that's used here. Uh, it's appropriately administered only to those who give a believable profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we call it believer's baptism and not just baptism. Um, you see evidences in the scripture in Mark chapter 1. Um, John was not beside the river baptizing. He wasn't near the river baptizing. He was in the river baptizing. When Jesus was baptized, they came up out of the river after it was over with. So why would you do that Unless, you know, you were going to be fully submerged. If you're just going to sprinkle or it was just a ritualistic purification process, there would have been other ways to do it. In fact, John the Baptist, you may remember as we were preaching through John, uh, that up at um, Enon, uh, near Salem, they had much water there. And he was baptizing up there. What do you need much water for if you're just doing ritualistic purification? You know, if you're just pouring water over hands and over the body... You need a lot of water when you're doing immersion. And so that seems to, uh, Scripture seems to back up the term that we find there uh, with other places. Uh, who are the subject of baptism? New Testament pattern is that only those who give a believable profession of faith should be baptized. That's why we call it believer's baptism. Uh, Galatians 3.27, Paul there assumes an outward sign of inward regeneration in baptism. Uh, there was... Uh, Grudem on 379 had uh, a description I wanted to use um, pertaining to the infant baptism. On 379, he says, If Paul could not have said uh, those things about infants, then those who advocate infant baptism must say that baptism means something different for infants than what Paul says it means for all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. 
Those who argue for in, infant baptism at this point resort to what seems to me to be vague language about infants being adopted into the covenant or into the covenant community, but the New Testament does not speak that way about baptism. Rather, it says that all those who have been baptized have been buried with Christ, have been raised with Him, and have put on Christ. Clearly things that an infant can't do. Um, I think we've touched on the Roman Catholicism and their christening. Anybody have a question about it? Protestant paedo-baptism, infant baptism. Uh, there are some Protestant groups, particularly Presbyterian Reformed churches, uh, that practice uh, infant baptism. Uh, it's based on the covenant idea of circumcision. Uh, and to my, and from my own humble opinion, too much so. Uh, they're making circumcision in the Old Testament the same as baptism in the New Testament. And they're not the same. If you go back to the diagram we had up here earlier, uh, talking about Israel as a foreshadowing of God's ultimate people that the nation of Israel, the geopolitical unit, was a foreshadowing pointing forward to the true people of God that would, by faith, become God's people. So the, the covenant was uh, sealed by circumcision for all male children on the eighth day after they were born. Those children didn't have to do anything. They, they were circumcised just because they were born into this family, right? But not all the people who identified with Israel, blood connections, part of the family, were of the true people of God, right? Um, I can't think of an example right off the top of my head, but <laughs> I mean, we got plenty of kings, right? We got plenty of kings that were uh, despicable. They were not followers of God. They they had blood flowing through their veins from Abraham, but they were not servants of God. So they were not of the people of God. Um, so circumcision didn't change that. Circumcision was an outward sign of being an Israelite, of being a Jew. Alright? True, it was a seal of a covenant, but it doesn't translate to baptism, where baptism is a seal of a of a um, uh, regeneration that's taking place that's an inward. It's not physical at all. It's spiritual. And it requires the cooperation through the mystery of God. It requires the cooperation of the vessel on which it's been performed. And so again, an infant over here had no choice. He never knew. You know, until later when they told him you were circumcised. He had no memory of that. He had no participation in it other than it was performed on him. Over here, when you get to baptism, it's just the opposite. You know, even though they try to perform it the same way, you get caught. You know, Pedo Baptists get caught in this because you got to decide what baptism means. Is it like the Catholics? Is it regenerative? Or is it like we believe and it's just symbolic? And if they and if they choose either one, then they compromise their own position. You heard, uh, have you heard MacArthur and Sproul have their friendly debate about that? Uh, no, I haven't. It's a short listen. It's actually quite entertaining. Yeah. It's, Did John uh, win the debate? Oh, he wasn't even close. <laughs> Sproul starts laughing about halfway through it because he knows how bad it is. 
that's it. These guys, a lot of you know, and this is what's well, this is what's interesting about theology, okay? And this is why it's very it's very dangerous to be very adamant about stuff that I would call our marginal beliefs and doctrines and teachings, okay? And and let's make no mistake, baptism is important, but it's not critical, okay? It's not critical. Thief on the cross was saved and went to heaven to be with Jesus. wasn't baptized, so you know. It's symbolic. It's a part of your testimony. It's a step of obedience. But in any, any direction you look when it comes to theology, you will find people that are reasonable, well-educated, super intelligent people that somewhere, at some point in time in their beliefs, there's a clunker that they just can't get beyond. Right? R.C. Sproul, one of the most brilliant Theologians probably of our time. One. He, he's in a small group, okay? And yet, he couldn't turn loose of infant baptism because he's been in it all of his life. And he probably knows that some of it doesn't make any sense. I want to share this with you, and I'm, I'm going to wrap it up, okay? Louis Burkhoff, he's one of the kingpins um, in Reformed theology, this is one of the most respected systematic theologies that you'll find anywhere. It's a single, brief um, edition. But, look, I I'm going through his argument over here, and I'm going, this is, this is easy pickings. There's no way that what he's saying here is true. And this is a brilliant man. And I'm thinking, I don't know, I can't get that. He's just got a blind spot. But even now, he goes over, he makes his case for infant baptism, and then he comes over for the uh, objections. Good scholar. Good scholar always gives both sides of the argument. Okay? Objections to infant baptism. A few of the more important objections to infant baptism call for brief considerations. Number one, circumcision was merely a carnal and typical uh, ordinance and as such was destined to pass away. And he goes into that's, that's not really the one that's important. He's got four of them. Number two, there is no explicit command that children must be baptized. This guy's supportive of infant baptism. But he's admitting the objection. There is no explicit command that children must be baptized. This is perfectly true, he says. Okay? He's just said my opponent's argument is perfectly true. Number three, a closely related objection is that there is no example of infant baptism in the New Testament. It is perfectly true, he says. <laughs> Number four, the most important objection to infant baptism raised by the Baptists is that according to Scripture, baptism is conditioned on an active faith revealing itself in a credible profession. Now it's perfectly true, he says. <laughs> so he's, he's lost the debate, has he not? <laughs> and it's in his own book. He defeated himself. He defeated himself, I think. Because I'm going, uh, what does he say? Um, he says here at the very beginning, a few of these, essentially what he says is that, um, yes, these are right, but still doesn't mean that this doctrine is unbiblical. Well, he's just admitted three times that it's not in the Scripture on any level, but that doesn't mean that it's unbiblical. And I'm going, I can't buy that, Lewis. <laughs> Why does he say he supports it? Then? I mean, it's 
And those are the reasons against it. Why does he say that? The same, the same reason that others do. Well, to, now, 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 to be The fair, circumcision to argument is huge. Yeah. To, to, be, to be fair, it's not, it's not always an either or when a, a, a theologian may hold both. No, but he holds infant baptism. He's so he specifically yes. said he's one of the key pedo over credo. He yeah. said that explicitly. Yeah. Well, I mean that that I mean that's his legacy. Part Sometimes of his legacy. really really smart people can believe bad ideas. That's what I'm saying. So, um, last thing on baptism. Okay, it took twenty minutes. Uh, basically, we've got it. Why do people not practice believers' baptism? Ignorance, pride, fear. You'd be amazed at the number of people that I've counseled with through the years that need to be baptized that won't because they're afraid of water or they're afraid of the crowd. It's uncanny. Fear of the water, fear of the crowd. I get fear of the water. I don't get fear of the crowd. And when I take them up there and stand them in the baptistry with their side facing where the congregation will be, and I said, when you're up here, can you even see out there? No. I said, it's not that bad. It's like you're on an island by yourself. Yeah. It's just what this is how the enemy works. Indifference, defiance. What are the purposes of baptism? I told you obedience, identification, proclamation. Uh, and I'll leave you with this little anecdote. Texas pastor Jim Dennison was in college. He served as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. While there, he attended a small church. At one of the church's worship services, a teenage girl came forward to announce her decision to follow Christ and be baptized. During the service, Dennison noticed some worn-out luggage leaning against the wall of the church building. He asked the pastor about it. The pastor pointed at the girl who had just been baptized and told Dennison, her father said that if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never go home again. So she brought her luggage. Mm -hmm. And that's all I got. Amen. Ooh, it's hot in here. Don't talk about Joel again. You got worked up, Joel. <laughs> no, it's hot in here. Hey, Joyce Meyer said that Joel's okay.